0: I'm gonna ask you to begin to get back to your seats, get your last bit of dessert or libation, and get to your tables. I wanna get out of here while it's still light so you can enjoy uh, some of the water and the, the grounds. I'm Pastor Richard Allen Farmer of the Crossroads Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia, just outside Atlanta. Oh, that was terrible, that was one lone person, yay! Uh, But I'm delighted to be here. I am leaving first thing in the morning, and so this is my last night before you as well. As as Tim said, uh, I wanna thank Tim, he's uh, quite a storyteller. And uh, I also want to have him confess and apologize for giving me an image that I can't get out of my head of him in his underwear there in Papua New Guinea. This is, I'm scarred. Uh, Some toothpaste you cannot get back in the tube. Um, But it's been uh, great to be here and to partner with him uh, for these presentations these days. I want to do some singing with you, make some music with you. I'm glad that uh, Jim McFarlane was asked to stand. He's the the writer of the uh, centennial volume, I met him here at Gull Lake. He is married to a woman whose family had been coming here for years, and the week they were here, one particular year, I was the guest speaker, or the speaker for the week, and they said, you have to meet Richard Allen Farmer. He's our friend. I, I didn't really know them, but, I mean, they they knew of me, and they knew of me from previous years. And they said, you have to meet Richard Allen Farmer. You'd like him. And I thought, well, oh, whatever. And they, they wrote me a note and told me, you have to meet Jim McFarland. Well, I did. And they were right. We needed to meet each other. And we've become very, very close friends. Uh, he is my, my, he's my tweet master, by the way. I send him my sermon notes every week. And he extracts from them uh, the bites uh, that might be uh, very tweetable. And he puts them on my uh, Twitter feed. Uh, He is my friend. I've enjoyed hanging with him a number of times. He's been to our home. Uh, He has come to the Crossroads Church. In fact, he was there for my first weekend there as pastor. He came in for my first Sunday there. I bought a car the weekend I arrived in Atlanta, and he got to drive it. I thought how, how did you get to drive my car? Uh, but he was there, and I needed help getting the rental car back to the airport, and then the, my car to where I was, and he was there right on the spot. Uh, he's been a great, great friend, and at times he's even uh, a decent man. So uh, please, uh, please do uh, meet Jim McFarlane. I have been coming to Gull Lake since about 1991, I think. I think it's been 22 years or so. <clears throat> I served at Taylor University. Um, maybe, maybe I started coming here in, no, that's not right, in about two, 2000. I think I've been coming here for 20, 21 years or so, every other year usually. And I have never. Never had a bad trip to Gull Lake. Every time I've come, it has been uh, one of the highlights of my summer. Anytime they call, I answer, yeah, the answer is always yes. If Gull Lake calls, the answer is yes. And I, I love coming here. I've flown into the Kalamazoo International Airport. I've flown into Grand Rapids. I've driven here. Uh, from places. I I just love getting to Hickory Corners, Michigan. And I'm one of the few people uh, in my neighborhood that can say, I have been to Hickory Corners, Michigan. In fact, there's a sitcom on right now called The Neighborhood on CBS. And one of the ladies in the sitcom regularly talks about being from Hickory Corners, Michigan. And I thought, that's not a made up place. I've been there. I've, I've been to Hickory Corners. So this is just what God is doing here is just phenomenal. The last thing I want to say, and I hope you have noted this, but, you know, there's some places you go and they take your money, but you never see it. I mean, you you don't see any any results. You know, I've been to churches where they have had a building fund for 15 years, and all they have to show for it is a thermometer in the lobby, showing we're getting there. I'm, I'm thought, getting where? When are you going to build something? Turn over a shovel of dirt, build something. Put up a shack, some, something, show me here at Gull Lake, when you give your money, you come back a year later, you see your money. You, you see it in the improvements made and the high caliber programming and then in installation of high tech stuff. You, you see your money. So you give, you invest here and it's not a wasted investment. You sow your seed in this ground. This is good ground. This is good ground. The Lord be praised. The Lord be praised. Father, we thank you for this place, for what you have been up to here for 101 years. And we thank you for the privilege that is ours to be on these hallowed grounds and to experience again that mystical something you do in a place called Hickory Corners. Grant that we may be ever open to what you're doing. Help us to be so spiritually alive and sensitive that we don't miss the move of your spirit in our midst. We ask this in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose people said, amen, amen. A few years ago, I was here and I taught a chorus that I remember hearing sung in my home church. I've never heard it sung anywhere else but in the african-american baptist tradition doesn't mean it isn't sung anywhere else i just haven't heard it in other places and it's simply uh it's it's a song taken from so many of the uh psalms know, the psalmist often says oh oh and this exclamation this song just says oh 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 what he's done for me Oh, oh, what he's done for me. Oh, oh, what he's done for me. I never shall forget what he's done for me. Very, very simple chorus. I'll sing it once through and you'll catch it and sing it with me. Listen.
1: Oh, what he's done for me. Oh, what he's done for me. I never shall forget what he's done for. You sing it. Oh, 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 oh what he's done for me. Oh, 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 oh what he's done for me. Oh, 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 oh what he's done, I never shall forget. I never shall forget. the miry clay what he's done He's done for me One more time, sing it One more
0: You could have met uh, some of the people of my youth. Uh, Many of our uh, folks, even though they were in New York City and they were quite urbane and sophisticated, when they came to worship, many of them worshiped with their whole bodies. And I can still say, Oh, I can still see them. Oh, what he's done for me. And some of those little old ladies, those church mothers, I love to see them praise the Lord. They praised him with their entire being. They wouldn't just sit there, oh, 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 what he's done for. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they, many of them, just could not be contained. I never shall forget what he's done for. They would just get get in and go in. And I loved it. I loved it. I want to sing another chorus with you. We've been singing this all week uh, these days. Um, And it is simply, it's a passage, uh, it's a chorus based on a passage in Zechariah 9.9 and Revelation 5.5. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice, O daughters of Jerusalem, for behold, your king comes to you. Daughters of Zion, and Jesus is described, the coming Messiah is described in Zechariah 9.9 as the king of Zion rejoice rejoice O daughters of zion your king comes to you in revelation 5 5 you have jesus described as the lion of the tribe of judah this chorus simply says reign jesus reign reign jesus reign king of zion judah's lion reign jesus reign Those of you who have been with me all week will know it. And others of you who are new, you'll catch it. Very, very simple chorus. Let's sing. Rain,
1: Jesus, rain. If you're able, would you please stand? Rain, Jesus, rain. King of Zion, Judah's lion. Jesus.
0: The Lamb. We will glorify the Lord
1: of Lords, who is the great I am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before his throne, we will worship him in righteousness.
0: of him alone we thank Thee, O Lord our God, Great and Mighty One, we thank You that You are the Great I Am, thank You that You are the Bread of life, thank You that You are the resurrection and the life, thank You that You are the living water, thank You that You are all things to us, thank You that You are the way, thank You that You are the truth, thank You that You are the life, And we praise Thee and worship Thee. We will serve Thee alone.
1: We bless Thee. And everybody said,
0: Sister Just before we look at the word of our God together, I want to write a song, and two of you are going to help me. I want one person to give me a favorite Bible verse, and uh, preferably a short verse. For instance, if you have, I don't know, memorized the entire book of Judges, I'm very proud of you. This is not the night to recite it. I'd like a Bible verse from one person, and then I'd like one other person to give me five random musical pitches. Sing them on a nonsense syllable like this. La, 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 la. Any five notes you'd like. Preferably not the first five notes of a familiar theme. Give us five original notes in as much as that's possible. All right, who'll give me the text I'm going to work with? Yes, sir. Which is? Amen. Surely I come quickly. Amen. All right. I like that. All right. Who'll give me five random musical pitches? You can either recite letter names or just sing them on a nonsense syllable. And you can't volunteer other people. So stop, <laughs> stop nudging people. Hey, you, you do it. You do it. Anybody? Anybody? Going once, going twice. If I don't get it, I'll just, yes, way in the back. Yes. Lal, Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> And then what? What did you do?
1: i mm-hmm. return of the King. Reign Jesus
0: Bless you. If you're able, whether in body or in spirit, would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? I want to read a passage. It's a long passage. This sermon is based on the entire 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles, which I will not read in the interest of time. I'm just going to set it up. And I'll ask you to leave the Bible open on your lap or accessed on your smart device because I'm going to point you to verses as we go along. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm just going to read the first two verses just to set it up. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king. Instead of his father, Amaziah, he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And I promise you, just as Kim Kardashian said to Kanye West, I won't keep you long.
1: That's pretty good now, huh? right.
0: I was a pretty sharp guy when I was 16 years old. I'm not sure I was ready to be a king But Uzziah was, this text gives us the facts, let's call him the boy wonder. He's 16 years old when he starts reigning, and he reigned for 52 years. He was quite accomplished, prodigy. Apparently, he'd been observing his father because when he became king, he started getting stuff done. That reminds me of Daniel Wallace. This hot shot comes up here from Texas, starts kicking derriers and taking names, getting stuff done, leaving his mark on the place. Now we laugh, but that's really what you're supposed to do. What's the alternative? Go someplace, take a role, take an office, take a title, and do nothing? You're supposed to get some stuff done. I'd like to see every place where we serve be seen in our mind's eyes like a muddy field. And I'd like to see us determined to leave our tracks in that place, to mark that place, we were here. We did good work. We left a testimony there. We made some things happen. That's what happens. He, in fact, uh, just so you don't think I'm just talking out of my head, I'm, I'm talking out of the word. Let me, let me show you what this 16-year-old did. We begin at verse 4. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah did. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as this 16-year-old sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, let me show you what he did. Went out, made war against the Philistines, broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabneh, the wall of Ashdod. He built cities around Ashdod among the Philistines. God helped this 16-year-old against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gurabal. And against the Meunites, also the Ammonites, brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt and became exceedingly strong. And the 16-year-old built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. He built towers in the desert. He dug many wells for he had much livestock there. Moreover, says verse 11, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their role as prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the, the officer under the hand of Ananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men was 2,600. This guy was getting stuff done. Then Uzziah prepared for them, verse 14, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings to cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. He had an army. They were well equipped. I mean, he was getting stuff done. He was building projects, water irrigation. I mean, he was he was making it happen. Don't just pause here and celebrate that God uses us to do stuff. The alternative stinks. Where well, you go someplace and you just sit like a bump on a log and you just enjoy the benefits and the title, but you don't do squat. You know people like that. They just literally just suck up oxygen, collect a check, and then die. And you can't think of anything significant that they did. That's kind of sad. Well, not Uzziah, and he is making it happen. It's almost like he had a deadline or something. I got to do this, got to do that before time runs out. He's getting stuff done. But started smelling his own armpits, started getting a little cocky. You know the type. Started getting real proud, starting believing their own press reports and he, he fell into a going to tell me mode. Very dangerous mode. where someone tries to correct you and say, you're going to tell me? I, you can't tell me. You can't tell me anything. I, dude, I'm, I'm the king. He was not accountable. He was not advisable. Anybody around him that said something he didn't like, they probably got rid of them. But let, but let me show you How it manifested itself, this pride. Now you remember from your reading your Bible that there were Levites, or there were priests rather, and kings. Priests did priestly things. Kings did kingly things. Priests never did kingly things, and kings were never supposed to do priestly things. Everybody was supposed to stay in their lane. Now let me show you what happened here in this text. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up, says verse 16, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the law, the Lord his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. You're not supposed to do that. You're the king. You're not supposed to be performing Levitical functions. It is not that going into the temple was wrong. He went in there and started doing things that only priests were supposed to do, and and he got to the point where he said, "You, you can't, you can't tell me that I can't do that. You're gonna tell me I can't burn incense. I'm the, I'm King Uzziah. My friends call me Uzi. You can't going tell me." And he went into this "gonna tell me" mode, which is always dangerous. The story continues. This is right from the text. I'm I'm not making this up. I'm not embellishing this. So Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, king, to burn incense to the Lord. Paraphrase, king you, you're not supposed to be doing that. 80 priests confront the king. You, you, you're not supposed to be doing that, king. We, we don't want to be rude. We don't want to tell you what to do. You're the king, whatever. But you, you're really out of line right now. <laughs> you're gonna tell me, says Uzziah. It is not for you to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. You you can get to the point where you think the rules that apply to other people don't apply to you. That was Uzziah. Don't tell me I can't burn incense. I can do anything I want to do. Then Uzziah became furious, says the text. Verse 19. This is such a good story. This is nail-biting, edge-of-your-seat kind of reading. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was angry with the priests, while he's waving it around, telling them that he could do anything he wanted to do, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Hi, baby. (laughs) Before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar, right there where he violated his privileges, right there where he stepped out of line, is where the Lord struck him with leprosy. (laughs) It gets gooder. Listen to this. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out (laughs) because the Lord struck him. Yeah, I bet. You can picture him, oh, this isn't good. Oh, this can't end well. I may have made a mistake here. I may have gotten a little beside myself. I may have crossed the line. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. Even after you repent sometimes, even after you apologize, even after you do submit to those who are trying to correct you, sometimes you'll live with the consequences of your arrogance till the day you die. He dwelt in an isolated house, which would have been the protocol for lepers, because he was a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Here are some of the saddest words in all of Holy Writ. Many of you have read through the Bible multiple times. Here are some of the saddest words you'll ever read in the entire Bible, I suggest. Second Chronicles 26, beginning at verse 22. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos wrote, so Uzziah rested with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the king's For they said, he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Wow. He gets to the end of his life, and nobody talks about the great things he did when he was 16. They don't speak of the walls he had built. They don't speak of the mighty army that he developed and recruited and armed, they don't talk about the towers he built, they don't talk about the irrigation projects, they don't talk about any of that. When it gets to the end of his life, he's only remembered for his transgression. He's only remembered for what he did wrong, not for what he did right. Now here, caution, 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 caution. You can so live that you accomplish great and significant things, and then because you are not listening and because you are not accountable and because we are not open to the people who are trying to help us, make some error in judgment, some indiscretion and wind up being remembered only for that. I only need to name a few folks, and you'll you'll get the point. If I mention Richard Milhouse Nixon, who was a great, great diplomatic mind, opened up the relationship between the U.S. and China. Richard Nixon was a fine thinker. But those of you of a certain age, if I simply mentioned his name, what do you remember? Watergate. How come you don't talk about the good things he did? Because he's waving his censor, like Uzziah, and saying, "Gonna tell me, Go and tell me what I, what I can't do." Is what they remember. This is so sad to me. And and they buried him and said, "He is a leper." Not even he was a leper. <laughs> said he is alive in our minds, even though we're burying him. He is a leper. That's what they remember. And I'm sure that incident in the temple only lasted a few minutes. And leprosy broke out in his forehead, and that's what they remember. I only have to mention Bill Cosby. And if the allegations are true, you remember him as a rapist. Yet he he did some great things in his show business career philanthropist but you will remember rapists I could just mention Harvey Weinstein you you won't list the films that he produced you will think of him as a serial rapist and as an abuser of women an abuser of privilege I mentioned Bernie Madoff You won't talk about shrewd investments. You won't talk about the fact that he was once the chairman of the Nasdaq exchange. You'll only remember him as a guy who spearheaded a $64.8 billion Ponzi scheme. That's what you'll remember of Bernie Madoff. If I were to mention Derek Chauvin, you would not, Think of the good things he might have done as a law enforcement officer. You'll remember him as the guy who had his knee on George Floyd's neck. Hey, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want them to say about you when it's all over? I call this sermon, Living Life Backwards. Because I want to suggest that we begin at the end of 2 Chronicles 26 and think about what we want people to say after they bury or cremate us. It was a good guy. She was a kind woman. He was a faithful Bible teacher. She was a wonderful worker uh, with girls and boys in the youth program. He was a fine provider. She was a faithful mother. He was a dynamite teacher. She gave great leadership to our college, our university. Now, if you want that said, then start with the back of the chapter, the end of the chapter, what you want said, and then start living that out so that when you do die, that's all they could say, because that's all you showed them. That's all you gave them. So you, would you just for a moment in these closing minutes think about your own funeral? There's a pleasant thought for a Wednesday night. Think about your own memorial service. What do you want them to say? Are we going to have to lie and think up stuff? I heard about a preacher. He was a pastor that didn't like to offend anybody. So every funeral he did, he, he somehow sent the person to heaven. You know, there's a new angel in the angelic choir tonight, praise God. I was sitting there doing the funeral of a man who was a scoundrel. He was not faithful to his wife. He had seven children with his wife. They're at the funeral, widow there, all the children. And the pastor's just going on, Ah, oh, heaven is, is one person richer tonight for this man has gone to be with the angels. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. And he's going on and on. Finally, the woman said to one of her youngest son, go up there and open that box, see if your daddy's in there. I don't know who he's talking about. Who is he talking about? Just go up there and see, see if your daddy's in there. Hey, what do you want said about you? Will they have to lie on you? Or will they declare this this is how she lived, this is how he lived. So sad to me. Prodigy, productive, and ultimately presumptuous and arrogant and proud. And a man who spends his last days muttering, gonna tell me, tell me what I. In the end, he was not remembered for great things. They said, he's a leper. May it not be said of us. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the things we get to do. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of having an impact of creating systems, building buildings, starting programs and keeping them going. Thank you for the opportunity to lead organizations and have a significant impact in a school. Thank you for the students' lives we get to touch and affect and infect for eternity. We pray that you'd help us to know what we are to do. I pray that you deliver us from pride and arrogance, if there be any, that we might honor you in all we do and in all we say. We bless your name. Now, Holy One, we know we're going to die. We know we're going to leave this planet. We are not afraid Teach us to go toward our end, however far away that might be, with the confidence that we are doing what you told us to do. May we keep our charge, fulfill our appointment until we die. Thank you for the people you send into our lives to correct us. May we not argue with them, but receive their counsel, As difficult and as humbling as it might be for us. Please surround us not with an abundance of yes people who will stamp their approval on any and everything we do. Please send into our lives people who love us enough to challenge us while we're out of order, when we're out of order. And we thank you in advance for those men and women. Thank you for the people to whom we submit and for the people who submit to our leadership and authority. Grant that in balance and humility we may do our best work. And when you look on us, may you say, this is my beloved, and in him and in her I'm well pleased. For the glory of your name we ask it. The people of God said... Amen. Amen.